listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm James Batchelor and I'm joined this week by... Matt Handrahan. Brendan Sinclair. Mike Williams. We're going to be discussing the biggest stories of the past week, starting with Unity. Unity has finally started preparing its long-rumoured IPO, its initial public offering, uh, and the filing is out. Brendan took a closer look. Uh, we obviously uh, the, the headlines are kind of already out there, the fact that they're going for it, the fact that they're going to try and float. Um, but Brendan, you learned a lot more about the company, and, and uh, Unity's not a company we've discussed much on the podcast before, and perhaps don't cover as much on the site as we do others largely okay i say others i mean epic epic are very noisy very desperate to draw attention to what they're doing um particularly at the moment unity unity tended to be a little bit more reserved um in terms of their vying for coverage as it were um but unity's still like like one of the most popular engines like i i, I lose track of I, I struggle to think of indie games that don't use unity um and you learned quite a few uh, surprising things about the company do you want to take us through the highlights sure um first of all like you say it's oftentimes people talk about game engines and it's kind of unreal or unity and uh unity in their ipo filing they even said like they estimate that unity technology was in more than half of games made last year worldwide and that's just like a huge footprint in the industry right but uh last year unity this really surprised me brought in 541 million dollars in revenue and that was up 42 percent year over year so like did did that seem small to anyone else, I, I, I mean, Epic, the other one in the room, brought in four point two billion. So yeah, it do, yeah. it doesn't seem small to me actually because I I remember I've been, I used to go to a, the Unity annual conference Unite, and one thing uh, every I went every year for about six seven years, and one thing that became quite clear from going to that again and again and again is that when they say like half of all the games made in the industry, I've never been quite, it's like when Netflix says 90 million people watch this, but they only need to watch five minutes of it to qualify as watching, right? That that a lot of what they're counting are things like student games and games that are not made for any money, uh, non-commercial projects and so on and so forth. I mean, it it's small, but the kind of games that are made with Unity are generally smaller hobbyists that that is a huge huge proportion of what they've made I, I think unreal generally speaking has been the game has been the engine that the really big games are made with whereas unity is the accessible lower end of the industry you know don't don't read that as a qualitative comment but yeah as i say student games hobbyist games they're all counted and they're all considered as part of the industry in the way unity thinks about itself you yeah, also okay. have um, some studios use Unity for iterating. So I'm I'm going to have to put this in because Chris is not here to do it as he as he does on an almost weekly basis. Sea of Thieves um, was originally developed in Unity so they could iterate and get the mechanics right, and then they made it properly in Unreal Engine. Does Unity count Sea of Thieves in there? I don't know. That's that's weird. <laughs> it is weird. It's weird. I don't know how many studios do that, but I, yeah. I imagine I, I can't imagine Rare's the only one thinking, right, we'll use this tool to kind of experiment and then we'll use another to actually make the final product. Well, I, I was just thinking like comparing, because I think of Unity as a pretty important uh, player in, in, in the industry, 
But I mean, the the revenue numbers that it's bringing in, they they were like, you know, second or third tier publishers from a decade ago. The Midways and the THQs and, and mm. stuff would be doing more than that right now. Like this week, I I, I wrote up uh, Razor Peripherals. Uh, half year earnings in the half year they made like 460 million or something so in half a year they're almost putting up what unity brought in during the whole year a record year for them where they were up 42 percent year over year and uh, but but even if, if we don't like go by size like is unity profitable it's been around since 2004 it has not turned a profit like in a single quarter yet it, it lost right, that, okay. that amazing that was the That's that was amazing. the biggest thing that amazed me from your piece yeah that uh, just stunned me what's it spending it, it the lost, money on um well there's research and development it, it does have a like a really high uh, gross margin on on its uh, on the money it makes but it, it, it spends so much on uh research and development that it's and and, and other things that it's just kind of like it it's wiped out whatever it could be earning by investing in trying to grow the business further. Um, and, and it's kind of had to, right. Uh, it's also like, because the, the engine itself, like the, the unity, uh, engine is they, they call it create solutions. That's the division for the actual engine and the subscriptions for that. They, they account for like 30% of the company's revenue. The, the real moneymaker for Unity is Operate Solutions, which it introduced in, in 2014 and is like Unity ads, Unity in-app purchases. It's like the, the, the tech tools for engagement and live ops and, and those, kind of, uh, those kind of services. And those are all um, like revenue share rather than subscription-based. Uh, monetization for for Unity and Operate Solutions was fifty four percent of of the company's revenue last year. So if you think of Unity as like oh they make the game engine, it's like that is a less important part of the company's business as the years go on. And then you also like you look at where they see growth in the future. And uh, a lot of people, I, I saw some, some developers uh, looking at that operate solutions number and how much of the business is from the in-app purchases and the Unity ads and stuff like that. And they were worried that this means that Unity is going to be more uh, concerned with mobile games than with console and PC developers going forward. And I think there is um, some concern to that, even though console and PC are also embracing a lot of these uh progression and uh, sorry engagement kind of things that that operate solutions unity ads and in-app purchases would work with but despite that it's i think it's like going through their ipo it's it's uh, ipo filing it's not even it's not even mobile gaming that you need to worry about it's it's everything else beyond that because uh, they're making 500 million uh annually right now from games and they have their tech in half of the games out there. And like Matt says, a lot of it's indie games. Um, and, and so that's going to be kind of limiting how much money you get from it, but they're also, they're not going to 
I don't think they're going to be like, you know, convincing Epic to, to put unity tech into Fortnite. So like the absolute upper echelons, uh, of, of, you know, profitable games are probably locked out to, to unity to a large extent. So what they're doing though, is that they, they have addressed a $29 billion market opportunity for themselves in the future. That's how they think, how much of a market they think there, there possibly is for unity tech. And given what they've, the, the market share they already have in, in console PC and mobile games, um, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to get there just within games. So their growth strategy is based in part, and I'll quote here, on expanding into new industries beyond gaming, including architecture, engineering, construction, automotive, transportation, manufacturing, film, television, and retail, and across use cases, including automobile and building design, online and augmented reality product configurators, autonomous driving simulation, and augmented reality workplace safety training, among others. Basically, anything where a company could use like 3D graphics on stuff or, or some kind of interactive 3D tool, that's where that's where Unity sees its future. Well, I think, but I think that's so, somewhat true of Epic as well. I mean, I, not which is not to say that Epic isn't focused in any way on games, but because obviously it is, it makes lots of money off games, uh, specifically its own game, you know, Fortnite. But but Epic definitely is in is in automotive, it's in architecture, it's in training simulation, it's in all of these different places, and I. I mean, I'm not sure any document exists of this kind or, or that, you know, comes close to doing what the IPO document does for Unity for Epic. But I think that probably Epic has very similar views on, on how it can grow. I mean, it's its GDC keynote the last couple of years has been quite concerned with things like its utility in making movies as much as it is in making games. I had a chat um, last year with, with someone I know who runs a studio and he... He said, and he said this about uh, Unreal Engine. He didn't say it about Unity, but the the impact is more or less the same. That you know, Unreal Engine is is like Windows was in the early nineties. That that that's the level of ubiquity you're gonna get. You're gonna see the game. This is this is what game engines are moving towards. It's. I don't think that. What, what I'm saying is, I I I think it's definitely the case that Unity, if it's going to grow, is going to grow in those areas, but I don't think it's unique to Unity. In yeah, like if you go to, to the Unreal site, it's got architecture, automotive uh, and transportation, film, television, training and simulation, like on the website. And I hadn't talked to anybody, but I definitely got the feel of, I follow a bunch of different industries, that Unreal Engine is just the one that they expect. It is the 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 Xerox, it is the Google, it is the Dyson of 3D engines. So like if a Hollywood exec is like, hey, we need to build something in 3D, like Unreal Engine is probably the first thing that comes to mind, which I feel like could blunt the growth that Unity is looking like. They they have they have the second mover uh, drawback here. That's my that's my concern for them is like yeah like they're spot on like those are absolutely natural growth areas for a game engine particularly in this day and age when every kind of industry is looking into digital content or needs digital content in some sort of manner 
But while they've identified all these areas for them to grow into, as we've already said, like Epic is already already doing them. So a couple of weeks back, we used our um, we did our Changing Channels conference, and we had Epic speak as one of the speakers. Didn't quite go to plan in that we had a bunch of videos we were going to show during their 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 one on one interview. But like there are videos of them. Um, Obviously, it's been used in making The Mandalorian, making um, other kind of film and uh, film and TV production. It's used as like the virtual sets for like Match of the Day and NASCAR and NFL and NHL and all these kind of sports broadcasts. As Matt says, like you know, they're always showing off um, uh, automotive and, and architecture stuff during their conference. I have a friend of mine. A friend of mine works um, as a, a web designer here in Essex in the UK, and they use Unreal Engine because they 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 basically create like kind of virtual cars and virtual car showrooms to show off to the clients. So that if you're buying these are like proper like high end like luxury cars. If you're buying your car, you you design your car on the website and every change you make it then reflects on the car. You know the the model of the car you're looking at. That's all done in Unreal. So I struggle to see what room there is for unity to grow when epic's already got kind of a foothold there and and fortnite is uh, a such a cultural force even if you don't play it that it's a driver of of unreal sort of mindset in the world at large and unity as of yet doesn't have uh a game that is like tied in the mindset with that and i mean that doesn't necessarily have to come from within uh unity itself but if like fall guys was highly touted as a unity game that would be the kind of thing that could help them gain that mindset perhaps outside of games or something like that yeah well when it comes to winning a contract it must be like a very big sort of industrial level contract with with a with a big company having having the ability to say our engine makes Fortnite is a is a boon right that that, that con- contract's likely to go epic's way now, i've always thought this about um, unity ever since there's a period i forget exactly how long ago it was but there was a time when unity was like the accessible engine and the business model that brendan was um talking about earlier on I mean, it's a free-to-play business model, right? Like, the, the engine costs very little to use and it monetizes the live ops side of things. It monetizes ads, it monetizes asset store, it monetizes all of these live, once the game is live kind of services. But there was a period when Unity, and again, I used to go to all the Unity conferences back then, but the very big focus and on the main keynote each year was uh, we're, we're, we want to become like a AAA engine. That they they do the mobile level, they do the the the, the kind of the lower lower tech two D pixel art uh, indie games really really well, but it wanted to kind of inch up and sort of start trying to eat some of Epic or Crytek or the other engine companies' lunch at that point in time, and. Epic did respond to that and started to, to, to kind of develop its mobile tools. And you had the two main engines that were kind of inching towards each other. Epic coming down from above, changing its business models, become more accessible, more open, cheaper to use and so on, and expanding its mobile side. And Unity kind of hiring more and more engineers that could kind of beef it up and make it more sort of console ready. Um, I think what, you, what you've ended up seeing, though, I think is that Unity's got a bit of the innovator's dilemma, that the, the very thing that made it such a, a popular engine in the first place is kind of holding it back now, that it, it's rooted and its tech is rooted in, in fairly kind of small and um, lower fidelity games. And while it's obviously come on a lot since then, I feel like uh, Epic has managed to make itself more relevant to 
more developers outside of that typical AAA realm in a way that just Unity just doesn't seem to have done as effectively. Or at least Epic coming down from that perch of, you know, being a very expensive engine for very expensive games, that has just proved to be a much more lucrative way of making money, even as you, you know, I mean, because Epic is, the Unreal Engine is so much cheaper to use now, but it hasn't really made a huge, if anything, it's only enriched it more. Whereas I'm absolutely, yeah, like you say, Brent, I'm surprised that Unity can be this big, this widespread after years and years and years of trying to get to to be a more triple a ready engine and still only be turning 500 million a year revenue it makes me wonder what who would be i get i mean it'll ipo and people will invest but i, I do i i can't think about that growth strategy and think that it's going to be a success they also um there there was one one stat from the ipo filing um and I'm, I'm not remembering the specific numbers, but something they, they broke down how much of their business uh, is from a relatively small amount of its customer base. And they said that they had uh, about 700 customers that are responsible uh, for a hundred thousand dollars or more of, of their, their business. And the rest of it is just from, you know, the rest of the, millions uh of people that that use unity it's they're they're just kind of contributing peanuts so it's like a a relative handful of larger players uh that are that are carrying the weight for for unity but even then like they're they're not really they do count ea and activision and some big companies around uh, you know, among their their clients that use their tech, particularly the operate solution stuff. But I, I, I think that the the number of like really big time companies out there that are going to be uh, adding to, to to that number of, of high spenders, like I don't know that there are a whole lot of of big players that are really going to move the needle for them. Yeah, there's no space to grow. No developer uh, at the the top end, unless they like land on a hit, is going to switch away from whatever internal engine they use, or if they use Unreal, they're they're not going to move from Unreal to Unity. So the, there's very few studios that are going to pick up, and and as Unreal has sort of had this lead in the AAA space, that's also where the experience lies. So you have high-end senior technical people who are, are are setting the tone and the the tenor at their studios, and they are unreal people. Yeah, I think um, uh, Unity did. I think try and make a pretty big play for VR in the very early days of that. It, and another thing that again from the Unity conferences that was a a big feature of the last the later ones that I went to. And obviously that market didn't pan out, you know, being the being the default VR platform, which is something that it was really like proud of and boasted a lot about in those in those earlier days of the Oculus Rift, just didn't end up being worth a whole hell of a lot. And I think, as you say, Mike, it's the the value really is up where Unreal is king. And 
basically like unity is the king of a market that as brendan points out isn't necessarily going to to register very much on the balance sheet even if you can claim to have all of these users and actually one point out of that document that that was um noted by someone i'm not sure if this was in i can't recall if this was in your piece brendan but uh, someone on Twitter noted that in the IPO filing, they said they they counted the users of the games made with Unity as their own users. So uh, they counted that as their reach. So their reach was like 2 billion users or something, when actually those are the users of games made with Unity. And it's a very dubious claim, but there's certainly a sense of they have to kind of beef up that side of what they do because the actual money on the balance sheet isn't necessarily, as Brennan says, that's like midway kind of revenue. That's not necessarily kind of what you want for, for an IPO. But they have been heading towards that for a while. I recall when John Riccatiello came in, and if anyone was familiar with Unity back then, the, the previous CEO, David Helgerson, was very different kind of CEO altogether. You know, he was uh, friendly and approachable and gregarious and, and didn't ever really seem like he would be the guy to lead unity to this kind of place when Riccatiello got came in the first thing i thought was well that's just so that eventually the company can go public and that it will just be a long road till then and and since then they borrowed money and there was the sense that there can't be that much money flowing through because they've had to raise investment and so on to to fund these pushes into new areas but i don't i think the only area that really ever would have would have counted for them was pushing into and and really uh, gaining traction in the market for AAA, but that's just never worked out. And all of the other things it wanted to do, Epic has been able to do just as capably, or they haven't really paid off in the same way. So, um, yeah, it is difficult to understand how Unity can match these growth expectations for sure, but even how popular the IPO will be uh, in in the short term. Yeah, one thing I want to um, uh, clear up there: you mentioned the the. Uh person on Twitter's talking about yeah. the billions of, of users and they I, I will say unity very very prominently high up in the filing uh, they specify that they have 1.5 million monthly active creators in uh, in the same thing they, they the same like slide they, they say we have three billion app downloads per month and those app downloads are just you know games and apps made with unity so they're they're not being they're not trying to obfuscate how okay, many people fine. are actually using Unity to create games. But then, you know, like 1.5 million active developers every month is an absolutely enormous amount of people regularly using your product. I think for, for anyone looking to sink money into the public offering, though, like the question is, how that, that many users is only leading to this much revenue. How could it actually lead to more? And I suppose that puts the question mark on how much more aggr- aggressively they're going to be monetizing the developers they do have in the future, because that's what public companies are all about, growth. Bigger margins well, every single year. One of my favorite um, things about that, uh, what did we learn from the IPO article actually, is uh, at, at the very end of it, I, had, uh, I found an interview that you did, Matt, with David Helgeson in 2014, uh, right after they had announced that John Riccatella was going to be the CEO. And you brought up uh, concerns that that this was, you know, okay, so now you're, Riccatella's bringing the company to an IPO, right? And Helgeson said there are no plans for that uh, and that they wanted, because the team wanted to be a company that can do its own thing and set its own agenda, basically meaning answering to shareholders, 
would be uh, against that. And then uh, you you asked him like that assumption uh, that Riccatello would bring Unity to an IPO may stem from there being a lot of developers that really wouldn't want to see that happen. Very few companies identify so closely with their users and let that be the guiding force behind their big decisions. And Helgeson said, well, we all want that. Somebody asked me, what if John just tries to change everything? All I can say is that there would be 499 people inside Unity who would disagree with him a lot. And it might, uh, I I thought that was kind of funny because uh, now there are 3,379 people within Unity. So that (laughs) that is the way that you (laughs) take a company to IPO over the objections (laughs) of the staff. (laughs) There can be 499 people against this now. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, too true. Also, those 499 people will probably be cashing out pretty, pretty significantly if the IPO goes well. So they might needless, not mind. Needless to say, yeah. Two K Games earlier this week released a statement of support for the NBA, uh, following players protesting, players and leagues protesting uh, in solidarity with uh, those protesting against the police brutality uh, against Jacob Blake, who was shot in Wisconsin. Um, I imagine most people listening know what's happening uh, in the US, but for those who don't, Jacob Blake was a black man who there are there's video going around of he was a. Uh, in a situation with police, he was heading to his car, he was unarmed, a policeman shot him at point black range, he is currently hospitalised with uh, paralysis. This has sparked further protests against police brutality and racial injustice over in the US. Uh, those riots continue to rage and as part of those riots, or rather as part of those protests, NBA players, as I say, didn't turn up for their playoff games that were due uh, over the last week. 2K Games so far is the only company that has spoken out on this particular instance um earlier this year with the murder of george floyd we saw a lot of companies uh, a lot of games companies speak out give um statements of solidarity for those protesting statements kind of against police brutality against racial injustice um a lot of donations towards uh black lives matter and related causes you know organizations that are doing more to help the black community this time round, it has been a little bit quieter as i say to my knowledge 2k games is the only one that has commented and even then it is more common in support of nba rather than specifically about the incidents um Brendan, you kind of suggested that rather than kind of talking about like why why the hell is no one else talking up again, uh, speaking up again this time, having been so vocal just a few months ago, um, you suggested we talk about what a gaming response might look like. I'll let you elaborate on that. Yeah, so the the NBA um, strike, the the players refusing to play, was uh, from from what I read, it, it was largely driven from the sense that. Uh, the players understood that they are a form of entertainment for people. People watch the games. Uh, a lot of them do it as a distraction, you know, escapism. Get away from the, the awfulness of, of the day-to-day life these days. And they weren't comfortable um, being a distraction from from this police brutality and, and this, you know, long trend here that needs changing so uh they removed themselves from the the equation as far as a distraction in order to get everyone to like 
pay attention to this right now and, and try and get something done. And I, I think that's, um, I, I, I think that's a, a brave thing, uh, for them, for them to do and, and commendable. And if people within the gaming industry are, are looking at, you know, their, what they can do and, and how they might be complicit like this, this year, Games has been as big a distraction as as anything, and in, in, a, in a lot of ways, um, with, with coronavirus, it's been sort of a necessary distraction for a lot of people. Certainly, much um, bigger than sport, which hasn't happened because of the coronavirus. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and and games has has benefited from from being a distraction, uh, but it, it, it does make me make me wonder. Um, what what kind of what kind of actions the industry can take to avoid being a distraction uh, right now in order to call attention to this? Like, does it so, does it have to be just you know shut your live ops games down for a period? Are there other things that that could be done between you know just running business as normal and that? So that's that's the thing. Well, let's start with that. Two K um, apparently back in uh, May, yeah, I think it was May. Back in May, um, after the murder of George Floyd, they did shut down um, their live ops for games for I think it was a period of two hours, um, and they they said this was in solidarity with you know the protesters. Although there was a fair amount of uh, social media cynicism saying, "Oh, this is just masking maintenance um, as a, as a protest," like. Two hours doesn't strike me as a lot of time. Like, okay, it's probably as I, I have to confess, I don't play basketball, I don't watch basketball, but I'm guessing matches aren't longer or much longer than two hours. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but like two hours doesn't it just doesn't seem like a particularly long time. Long time. Twenty four hour blackout of an online game that would get a bit more attention, I think. And I'd love to have seen publishers kind of like say right we are going to stop all multiplayer games for 24 hours and just replace any game. you know, when you're loading in rather than like a server loading message there's a a more inf- a more informative message maybe a link if you're on pc to some sort of a site where you can educate yourself that would be a start not enough of a, a response but it would be a start well i think that i mean i i would say that would be a fairly that would be a fairly striking response if it was 24 hours i mean we're obviously in a position where nothing happened so saying 24 hours would and nothing obviously is enough either that's not in a way that's not the most useful way to frame talking about this but i think you know two hours is an unusual amount of time because that is an amount of time that games are frequently down for maintenance so that doesn't seem like that much of a sacrifice we had uh, an interview at uh, the Change of Channels conference with Gary Witter who was actually talking about how he's had to move his show because Animal Crossing's routine maintenance is now scheduled for the time he normally goes out, about two hours worth. So it's almost exactly something that happens in every game all the time. I think 24 hours of of uh, a kind of a blackout of games with messages of support, solidarity and so on in, in place of the game that people are trying to access would, I think, be a, a pretty striking show of support. And certainly probably the single most striking service support the games industry has has ever made about this particular issue so but i feel like we're pretty far short of that um or 
or or a place where the industry would be even willing to go near something that that striking. Yeah, I, I get the feeling that they're not necessarily addressing it with specific statements because at least as far as it is from the U.S. side of things, this has just been sort of an ongoing thing uh, that hasn't actually stopped in terms of protests and actions. There are things that happen that make it uh, flare up more, but for the most part, like things have just been sort of flowing forward. And I, uh, the, the NBA, at least... Uh, I feel like they, they talked about it more, one, because of the, the composition of the bubble, if you don't know, uh, in order to sort of protect everyone from the coronavirus and still have games, all of the players are in one spot uh, where they can't leave. And in this case, the uh, the attack against Jacob Blake was in Wisconsin. Um, two years ago, uh, Milwaukee Bucks player, Milwaukee is also in Wisconsin, Sterling Brown was tased by police. Um, so for the Bucks, the Milwaukee Bucks, it was very close to home, and it sounded like it started with them deciding to pull out uh, and then also uh, LeBron James and the Lakers deciding to pull out. And so I, I think part of that worked just because of the current composition of the NBA as it stands. Allowed them the ability for all the players to meet together and to decide as a group en masse, hey, let's not play today. And then the NBA had to sort of roll with that. And then 2K had to roll with that. But I think for people outside of that, it's just been a, a an ongoing thing. And I don't think there's much more statements that other companies could have that wouldn't just mirror what they were doing before or what they are doing in an ongoing basis. I, I think that there's... Um a domino effect that can take place. Um, and like with the NHL, the, the first night when the Milwaukee Bucks and Orlando Magic refused to play and the rest of the, the games didn't go on, the NHL kept doing its games. Um, even though like some Major League Baseball games, WNBA, some other leagues also were, were protesting. Right. Um, and, and the NHL was on the outside of that. They ran their games like normal, had like some perfunctory... 22nd moment of silence or something went ahead with it. And then the next day they got so much flack from people. Uh, they were basically shamed into postponing their playoff games, uh, for a couple of nights. And I think that's, uh, I think that's one thing about these, these actions, even if it's a company just saying, we're going to shut down our live ops game for a day or two. Um, on its own, it's, you know, not an effective thing and it doesn't necessarily lead to any kind of lasting change, but it, it can snowball. You know, you, you get, you get one company 
going public with something. And, and the Black Lives Matter statements from a few months ago were largely the same thing, I think. We had we had a couple of companies uh, go out front and just kind of say, yeah, Black Lives Matter. This is this is obvious. And then that made it safe for other companies to do that. And then eventually even like Epic Games of the uh, it's stupid to decide where you have a chicken sandwich based on your politics um, uh, philosophy. Even even they were releasing statements about Black Lives Matter. And I, I think back to uh, Gamergate in 2014. And this entire industry just deciding to to be cowards about standing up to uh, an, an abusive section of, of its player base, to not say diddly, to just like let the women and, and marginalized people that they had been trying so hard to bring into the industry, letting them get thrown under the bus and, and just kind of looking the other way. And no one said anything for months. Because there wasn't one company, one big player that came out there and said, no, no, forget that. That's that's messed up. We need to actually do something and, and you know, express like this is not acceptable. And then once someone brave does that, that can snowball into into something more, does something more concrete. And, you know, it's it's if that doesn't snowball, then, yeah, maybe maybe you look like you know, kind of the, some weird foolish company that decided to like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to take a stand, you know, like the, um, our improv comedy troupe is going to go ahead with our performance on September 12th, because if we don't, the terrorists win something like that. But, you know, I guess that's, that's part of like doing something in the hopes of making a positive change. There is an element of, of bravery to it. And you understand that, yeah, yeah, you might, you might get mocked for it. You might, if no one follows, you might look like a fool, but you know, you'll be able to sleep a little bit better at night knowing that you at least tried to do something. Yeah. I mean, I suppose when I was thinking about this discussion, that the first thought that came into my head and it has been sort of completely like, I think overthrown by what you just said is that, the world of sports is obviously it's different from video games in a number of ways, but one of the ways is the is the centrality and the the, the power and influence of individuals, because um, sports is kind of based around individual people and stars, and 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 the games industry's never had that. You know, film has that, music has that, games doesn't have that. Like the the companies, if anything, are the equivalent of you know LeBron James or. or you know, um, George Clooney or whoever, whoever it might be. But in sports, you know, the, the individual will of people can actually do that. And it's a lot, lot more simple for an individual to decide to take a stand and then that cause a snowball effect. And I think what Mike was saying about the structure of the NBA, like, like kind of magnifies that effect. You just need some uh, a small group of people who really want to do this and then they can influence the others, whereas companies are a little bit different. But I think the the reason why I'm kind of reconsidering that now is we didn't really see any response on any level, even the smallest companies on this occasion doing anything in, in a way that uh, at least enough of them to cause that snowball effect uh, did uh, in the aftermath of what happened uh, to George Floyd. So I do wonder what the reason for that is. Is is this kind of some signal that 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 period where the industry was so engaged really was just a fleeting thing that it didn't 
it's not something that's going to be emulated. It's not something that, that kind of was, was truly sincere in its way. Or, or is it some other aspect of this that, that it's, as you said, Mike, this is, this is an issue that is ongoing. And, and is there a reluctance to kind of make a stand every single time something like this happens? Um, these are just questions, not answers. But I think it's a situation that where questions arise that don't have simple answers. So, like uh, uh, Epic Games in Fortnite had their uh, event for Black Lives Matter over at the uh, the Party Royale space, and that was in July. I think that was mid July. So, like this is this has been an ongoing thing. And I and I, I I think the the bubble helps uh, that sort of snowball as you brought up and I brought up that in a way that it's a little bit harder. There does uh, need to be someone at the top echelons that would say, "Hey, let's let's do this." Uh, let's say something, and then I, I could see it snowballing from there. But I think for a lot of people in the U.S., it's just like this is a an, an ongoing uh, a series of events. In fact, Spawn on Me has uh, a, a podcast they're recording tomorrow, uh, talking about blackness in games again as a sort of ongoing, rolling thing about this event that is just happening and refuses to stop that is all we've got time for this week we'll be back next monday with uh, another news discussion show if you've missed it we have just launched the f- uh, second spin-off series of the podcast uh, it's called five games of it's an exploration of the the evolution of the games industry through the careers and games of individual people so the first episode is the five games of mike bithell to look at his first game his last game and three of his choice in the middle and how the industry has changed over the course of those games and if you haven't already rebecca does a spin-off podcast called the game developers playlist so scroll back in your podcast feed you'll find the first episode of that you can find this podcast on all good podcasting platforms and you can get your news insight and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz mm-hmm.